Hey everyone, this is Nick. Real quick before we get started in our free online ground school lesson, I just want to talk about our new spring scholarships. Every year we've been giving out $1,000 scholarships and we give out four a year. And last year we started doing something different in the spring. So Part-Time Pilot donates $1,000 to the scholarship in the summer, in the fall, in the winter. And then in the spring, we also donate $1,000, but we donate it to a GoFundMe. And then we try and get other people to donate so we have bigger pot and have a more a larger impact on what we can do when we give out the scholarship money. All the funds go to the scholarship winner. I don't keep a single dime. The only people that get anything from this other than the scholarship winners are GoFundMe. I think they have like a 2 or 3% you know, fee that they take. But I use GoFundMe so this is completely transparent. So last year we raised almost $5,000 and this year we have to beat it. In the show notes is the link to the GoFundMe. Now I don't like asking for, for handouts or anything like that. And I understand that everyone is strapped with money, especially when it comes to funding flight training. So if you can't give any, don't worry about it. But if you are in the position where you can and you want to have an impact and help some other people out, we would really, really appreciate it. Even if you just shared the GoFundMe on your social media, it would be really, really helpful. So just check it out in the link in the show notes for the 2024 Spring Part-Time Pilot GoFundMe Scholarship. Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder 8 out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school, and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Are you struggling on your radio calls to ATC? Are you looking for a better way to practice that's not up there in the air in that stressful situation? Well, I want to talk to you guys about something called AR Sim or Aviation Radio Simulator by Plain English. It lets you practice talking to ATC through all phases of VFR and IFR flight from taxi out to takeoff all at your own pace. There's no simulator setup needed and it works on any device, mobile or the web. So whether you're a novice or seasoned pro, the guided communication curriculum in trainer mode will elevate your comms proficiency greatly. Download ARSM by Plain English today and check out our show notes where you can get 10% off using a coupon code. It is a great tool and I highly, highly recommend it. Welcome in one and all to the Audio Ground School podcast. My name is Nick Smith. I am the host and founder of parttimepilot.com. 
the best place to get information to help you with your pilot training. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. I think this episode will be released somewhere in the second week of December. So we got the holidays coming right up. So hopefully everyone is, you know, got some plans with friends or family for whatever holidays you celebrate and you take a little bit of time off during those times to enjoy the holidays. So in today's episode, we're going to obviously continue on in the online ground school. So it's the part-time pilot, private pilot, online ground school. We're in the step one course. So if you're following along, which I highly recommend you do, right? We organize everything by courses. Step one is all the lessons, the videos, the diagrams, examples, mnemonics, quizzes, audio lessons, right? Those are in the step one course. Step two is we have you take some practice tests. Step three, we give you custom report, you know, on things to review and then more practice tests and or your endorsement once you're ready. And then we have a bunch of bonus course. So we're in that course, step one course, and we're in section 14 on airport operations. And last week we did collision avoidance and traffic and airport light signals. So today we're going to talk about taxiway and runway lighting systems. And if we have time, we'll get into taxiway and runway signs and markings. So today we're not going to do a listener question or read off some reviews today. So I'll have something a little bit later that I want to talk a little bit more about. So we're just going to get straight into it today. So let's go ahead and do that right now. So again, this is in our step one course, and this is section 14 of that course, airport operations, and we're on lesson seven, taxiway and runway lighting systems. In this section, we will discuss the many signs, markings, colors, and lighting systems that occupy an airport. First thing we're gonna talk about is glide slope indicators. You have two types of glide slope indicators. Generally, you have a visual approach slope indicator, or VASI, V-A-S-I, or you have a precision approach path indicator or PAPI, P-A-P-I. Let's talk a little bit about the VASI. This is a lighting system placed next to runways that is designed to help landing aircraft determine if they are too high or too low. VASIs are usually two or three bars of lights. Two bar VASIs tell you when you are below, on, or above the glide slope. Three bar VASIs tell you when you are below, on a slightly lower glide slope, on a slightly higher glide slope or above the glide slope. Vassies are visible for three to five nautical miles in the day and 20 nautical miles in the night. The lights of a Vassie will turn red when below the glide path and white when above. So as we want to picture, we're coming in for landing, you know, particularly in day or night, right? These lights work both in day and night, and it's going to tell you whether you're on the glide slope, right? So you're coming down, you're descending on that glide slope, and you got a point picked out where you want to land. And you just want to kind of match, you want to maintain your approach speed and just stay on that glide slope. It's the slope, you know, from the top of descent all the way down to touching the runway. So that slope, that invisible line in the air from the top of your descent, start of your descent down to the runway, that's the glide slope. And so we just want to stay on that the whole time. And if we do, then we're going to get, you know, the on glide slope indication from this two bar or three bar VASI the whole time. So we just want to look at those lights on the VASI and just kind of maintain those on glide slope indications the whole time. And if we get above glide slope, then we can adjust. If we get a below glide slope, then we can also adjust. A VASI does not provide any runway alignment information, only glide slope information. So it's not going to tell you whether you're on the center line or not. In VFR flying, we usually just use our eyeballs to tell whether we're on center line 
you know, we're lined up on center line or not. In IFR, there's localizers and ILS and things like that. There's instruments that can tell us our lateral guidance when we're coming down to land because we'll, IFR, we won't be able to see all the time the center line. Anyways, but for VFR, right, it's just know the VASI just provides you that vertical guidance, tells you how high or low you are in comparison to the glide slope. This is from the FAA. Each pilot of an airplane approaching to land on a runway served by a visual approach slope indicator or VASI shall maintain an altitude at or above the glide slope until a lower altitude is necessary for landing. So this is kind of like straight from the FAA. Like if it has a VASI, you need to maintain that altitude at or above glide slope until a lower altitude is necessary for landing. So they want you to stay at or above that until you need to flare and get below for landing or whatever. So that's from the FAA. That's kind of all in the FAA's wanting pilots to have stabilized approaches, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But like that's maintaining your glide slope, your descent rate, the airspeed and the configuration of the aircraft all the way through the landing. Those stabilized approaches provide the most safe and efficient landing. So in the ground school, we have a couple pictures of a two bar VASI and a three bar VASI. And for the two bar, we show you what it looks like for below, on and above glide slope. And then for three bar, same thing. So for two bar, it's going to have two rows of two lights. So two rows, two columns of lights. So four total lights, right? Like in a square kind of pattern and below glide slope, all four of those lights are going to be red on glide slope. The top row is going to be red and the bottom row is going to be white. Okay. So you're going to have the top row red and the bottom row white. And these VASIs, you know, that's what it's going to look like from as we're coming far away, right? On the ground, they, they might actually be, you know, spaced apart next to the runway. But when you're coming down on glide slope, it looks like they're going to be stacked right on top of each other in these kind of configurations. Hopefully that makes sense. What I mean is like there might be one set of two lights and then for one row and then behind it later, you know, further down the runway next to the runway, another row. But when you're coming down on that glide slope, it's going to kind of look like they are stacked into just like a square pattern. All right. So back on glide slope, you're going to have the top row of lights, red, the bottom row of lights, white, and the above glide slope, you're going to have the top row of lights, white, and the bottom row of lights also white. So if you see all white, you're above glide slope, red, white, you're on glide slope, all red, you're below glide slope. But the three bar VASI, it's just another row of lights. So now you have a two by three configuration of lights. So you have two columns and three rows of lights on the below glide slope indication. All six lights are going to be red. When you're on the lower glide slope, you're going to have the top two rows are red. So the top four lights are red and the bottom two lights or the bottom row is white on upper glide slope. You're just going to have one row of red on the top followed by two rows below it in white. That means you're on the upper glide slope. And then when you're completely above the glide slopes, you're going to have all six lights, all three rows completely white. So again, when you're below, it's all red. When you're above, they're all white. When you're on lower glide slope, you're going to have two red, one white. When you're on upper glide slope, two white, one red, right? So if you just remember white means upper, you can kind of judge, you know, based off how many white lights you see compared to how many red lights you see, you can determine whether you're on or above glide slope, right? In either case, it's all the same logic, right? To be right on glide slope, you want to have an even number of white and red lights, right? Two white, two red, you're on glide slope. So that's kind of what you want to do. You kind of want to match the same amount of red with same amount of white. Unless you're on this three bar, you want to determine, okay, are we flying on this lower glide slope or are we flying on the upper glide slope? You want to match that. So we know we're 
landing on the lower glide slope, then we want to look for that lower glide slope indication, which is two two rows of red and one row of white. And if we were on the upper, then it's one row of red and two rows of white. You guys get the picture? Pretty logical, but trying my best to describe this in audio, what the visuals look like, but go ahead and check out what that looks like. There's also a tricolored Vassy. It's just like it sounds. Tricolored Vassy has three lights that are three different colors. So there's an amber, which is like an orange, right? Or yellow, orangish yellow, a green, and a red. So amber means you're above the glide slope. Green means you're on glide slope. And red means below glide slope. So kind of using our knowledge of colors from like driving that we grew up in, right? Like red is like danger, emergency, stop, right? So that's when you're below glide slope. Green means go, you're good, right? Pretty logical. And then yellow is like kind of like caution, right? You're not in danger of hitting the ground because you're above glide slope. But hey, you know, caution, you're going to be high. It's going to be a tough landing if you do this, if you don't correct it soon. That's a tricolored Vassy. All right, let's talk about the Precision Approach Path Indicator or the PAPI. So it's very similar. Another type of Vassy is a PAPI and the same rules apply from the FAA that say a pilot should maintain an altitude at or above the indicated glide slope until needed for landing. Pappies have the same use as Vassies, but only have one bar of lights, anywhere from two to four lights that use white and red colors just as a Vassie. There's gonna be one row of lights. Before in a Vassie, we had stacked rows of lights, right? This is just gonna be one row, okay? So it's just gonna be one set of lights in one row, and it could be anywhere from two to four lights. Here in this example, we use the example of four lights. When you have four lights, it's gonna tell you a little bit more, give you a little bit more indication. I've never seen a two light pappy, but I guess they exist. Doesn't really make sense because I don't know how you would tell if you're on glide slope or not. I guess I guess one red, one right. Yeah, I guess that would work. In a two lights, right? It would be all white, both white would be your above glide slope. Both red would be below and then one white, one red. Yeah, that completely works. And then three lights would be, you would have an extra indication. And then four lights, uh, very similar. So that's the example we have here. So four lights, all four in the row are white, you're high. All three, if three are white and one is red, then you're slightly high. Okay, so you're slightly high or you're on that upper glide slope. If you have 50-50 split of two white lights, two red lights, then you're on glide slope. And then you have just one white, and three red, then you're slightly low, you know, or on that lower glide slope. And then you have to have all four red, then that means you're low. So again, self-explanatory, logical. It's just a mix of white and red lights, and you want to target an even mixture of white and red lights, right? Unless you're targeting a lower or higher glide slope, then you want to target that. All right, let's move along now to taxiway lights. Now, I'm sure there's some taxiway lights out there that I do not have listed here in the ground school, but these are the ones that are the most common, most important, and the ones the FAA written will ask about. So let's talk about the different taxiway lights. We have a taxiway edge light. Taxiway edge lights are blue and placed along either side of the taxiways, just like the name says, taxiway edge, the edge of the taxiway, that's what they tell you. You see those blue, the blue line of lights, that's the edge of the taxiway. Some airports have taxiway centerline lights, which are green, and then green and yellow when leading to a runway. There's taxiway edge lights, and then some have taxiway centerline lights to tell you so you can be in the centerline, while some, they just tell you, you know, they just show you the edges, and you can judge from there where the center is. 
And then when they do have a taxiway centerline lights, they're green, but then they go green. They alternate green and yellow as they lead up to a runway. So it tells you, oh, it's getting green and yellow. I'm approaching a runway. That means I'm going to stop for clearance, right? Then you have clearance bar lights. Clearance bar lights are meant to increase visibility of hold short and taxiway intersection lights. Okay, so if you're taxiing along at night and you're approaching a taxiway, taxiway intersection, you might see a clearance bar light. Again, that's going to tell you basically, hey, there's a hold short line here for either the taxiway intersection or if you have a taxiway that's intersecting with a runway, right, you're going to have those hold short lines that painted on the asphalt. A clearance bar light, you know, because those lines might not be super visible on the ground at night. So that's what these clearance bar lights are for. They point right at you and they tell you, hey, there's a hold short line here. There's an intersection coming up. Uh, you have stop bar lights. Stop bar lights are installed within the ground pavement at some airports. They are meant to reinforce hold short lines. So same thing as clearance bar lights. But these ones are like clearance bar lights will be like on a row of lights, you know, mounted on some posts next to the runway or next to the taxiway while stop bar lights are installed in the pavement. So they're installed like in the lines themselves, the, the hold short lines are meant to reinforce hold short lines when ATC has yet to clear your aircraft across the hold short line. They're steady red when the pilot is not cleared and turn off when the pilot is cleared. So these are controlled by ATC. And again, they reinforce, I think this should be at every busy airport that has night operations because it just gives ATC a constant light signal, you know, to tell people another thing to, to tell people whether they're cleared or not. All right. The next one is runway guard lights or RGLs. Similar to the stop bar lights, these lights are meant to reinforce the hold short lines before the runway, but these lights do not change color with ATC clearance. So these are runway guard lights. They're built into the ground to reinforce those hold short lines, but ATC doesn't control them. So they don't change by ATC control. They are steady yellow when on either side of the taxiway at the hold short line. So they're kind of going to illuminate those hold short lines, basically. Next one is runway lights. So now we're onto the runway. We talked about taxiway. Now we're onto the runway. And if you're in the ground school, talking about something very visual, talking about lights at night. I have a really cool picture in here that shows a runway with a taxiway and it shows all these lights we're talking about. So it's got taxiways, you know, with lights surrounding them. It's got the centerline lights, edge lights, you know, the stop bars, the hold short markings and all, everything that we're talking about. Go and check out that light, give you a visual of all these. And there's a little, there's a little legend that tells you what each of those lights are. All right, runway lights. First one is runway end identifier lights or rails, R-E-I-L-S. On either side of the approach end or beginning of the runway will be two white flashing lights that signal the start of the runway for pilots. On the approach end or beginning of the runway will be a strip of solid green threshold lights. On the takeoff end or end end of the runway will be a strip of solid red runway lights. Okay, so runway end identifier lights. These are meant to identify the end of a runway. Okay. So on either side of the approach end or beginning of the runway will be two so on either side, on your left side or the right side, will be white flashing lights. This tells pilot this is the beginning of the runway. And then on the approach end or the beginning of the runway, as you're coming in for approach, you're going to see solid green threshold lights. It'll be a strip of those that tell you where the threshold is for the runway. And then on the takeoff end of the runway, there will be a strip of solid red runway lights, a strip of solid red because of aircraft are taking off there, it, those red lights tell you we're not landing in this direction. We're, we're taking off in this direction. 
Okay, the next one is runway edge light systems like HIRL, MIRL, or LIRL. And that stands for high intensity runway lights, medium intensity runway lights, or low intensity runway lights. Runway edge lights are steady white lights that border the runways. On instrument runways, the white lights change to yellow during the last 2,000 feet or half the runway length, whichever is less. So that kind of tells you when they turn to yellow that you're running out of runway, but those are for runways which have instrument procedures. And then basically, yeah, so there's three different intensities. There's the high intensity, medium intensity, or low intensity. So the hurl, merl, or laurel. Then we have the runway centerline lights or ICLS. Runway centerline systems are installed on some precision runways. These centerline lighting systems have white lights spaced at 50 foot intervals along the centerline of the runway. Alternating white and red lights start when there's 3,000 feet of runway left and turn to all red with 1,000 feet left. So these are the centerline lights. So when you're flying in at night, you can see the centerline. And then again, they're going to change color. They're going to change to alternate white and red when you have 3,000 feet left and then all red when you have 1,000 feet left. So that's handy to tell you when you're running out of runway in the dark. Then you have touchdown zone lights or TDZL. Touchdown zone lights are steady white lights placed in two columns, rows of four lights in each column. Okay, so two columns with four rows on either side of the center line. They start 100 feet into the runway and end at the middle of the runway or 3,000 feet from the threshold, whichever comes first. So this kind of illuminates where you should touch down. Again, another way to tell pilots, you know, hey, I should touch down here so that I have enough room to land right it gives you a target when you're coming down to land that's your target in the touchdown zone and then that'll accompany the glide slope indication on the vassier pappy so if you're aiming at touchdown zone and you you're on glide slope on the vassier pappy you're gonna have a you know a pretty solid land okay let's see here uh land and hold short operations are for runway or so let's talk about land and short lights or lasso lights so if land and hold short operations are in effect then flashing white lights will be used across the runway at the hold short line. So these are used when, right, you have runways intersecting with other runways, right? And a lasso is land and hold short. So a lasso operation, again, you as a pilot can decline a lasso clearance. But if, if ATC says land and hold short, so land on runway 27, for example, but hold short of runway 21, right? So if there's an intersecting runway, they want you to land, but then stop before the intersection because there's other aircraft landing or taking off on that. So they want you to land and then hold short. And if this is in effect, there's going to be white flashing lights across the runway at the hold short line. So that runway you're intersecting at the hold short line, there's going to be the white flashing lights. Again, land and hold short operations are for runways that intersect with other runways or taxiways. And there will be a hold short line on the runway and these lights when they're in operation. ATC will ask you if you can land and hold short. If you are uncomfortable, just say unable. PICU has final authority to accept or decline land and hold short or lasso operations. All right, so I got another picture here of the runway lights. So we got the touchdown zone, center line, edge lights, runway end identifier lights, all that stuff shown here on the runway, and then everything labeled in a legend. So really good, handy visual aid there for you in the lesson. Okay, runway lights are made such that no matter which runway you are using, you are seeing the correct color and will be able to correctly identify the beginning or end of the runway. 
the lights have one color on one side and another color on their opposite side so they can serve the purpose of both runways. So for example, airports can have, depending on the wind, they can be taking off on runway 27, or they can, if the wind switches, they can take off on runway 9, the opposite direction on that runway, right? Lights are made such that when you're seeing them from one side, when you're taking off on runway 27, they'll be the correct color, or if you're taking off or landing on runway 9, they'll be the correct color for that runway. All right, so the last type of lights I want to talk about are pilot-controlled lighting, or PCL. In order to save on cost of energy, some airports have pilot-controlled lighting, which allows the pilot to control the runway lights using their radio. Pilot-controlled lighting is usually available at airports where there is no control tower or the tower is not in operation 24-7. I remember the first time I did this, you know, flying around a light with my instructor, told me how to, how to use it, and I thought it was really cool that I can turn on these lights at this, you know, runway at night using my radio. To control the lights, a pilot simply tunes into a frequency identified in the airport chart supplement. So the airport chart supplement is going to tell you what type of pilot-controlled lighting system, and for that matter, all the lighting systems that the airport has. And then, so it's going to tell you what type of system and which tells you how to use it and what frequency you'll need to turn, tune to. It's usually the same as the CTAF frequency. When the correct frequency is dialed in, when you have the correct frequency in your radio and you're within five miles from the airport, a pilot can key their mic seven times within five seconds to activate the lights. So keying the mic, that means, you know, when you hold down the button to talk, right? And you wait like a half second, then you talk to ATC. And then when you're done talking, you release the key button. That's the button, right? So just like you're going to talk to ATC, but you click it on, click it off, click it on real fast. And you do it seven times in five seconds, that'll turn on the lights. As long as you're dialed into that same frequency, it's going to pick up that someone's been keyed the seven times in five seconds and it's going to switch the lights on. Pretty, pretty cool. I think it's an old technology, but it's really cool. Old, one of those really cool old technology things. The lights will stay on for 15 minutes. There are several different kinds of lighting systems, pilot controlled lighting systems, but keying the mic seven times in five seconds will work to turn on all of them. And then after that, depending on the system, you may be able to do some more things. For example, there's like a three-step or two-step system. And I have these here in a table, which tell you all these. And again, you'll find this information on what type of system it is in the chart supplement for that airport. So you know what you'll be able to do from the air controlling these lights. But on a three-step system, you would do it seven times in five seconds, key the mic seven times, five seconds, and that would turn it on in high-intensity mode. But if that's too high, right, because we're at night and we don't want to blind ourselves, if that's too high, then you can adjust it. So you can then do five times in five seconds after that to switch to medium intensity or three times in five seconds to switch to low or seven times again to switch it back to high. If it's two-step, then it's seven times in five seconds for, for high-intensity, three times in five seconds for for low intensity. So again, it's good to know and look in the chart supplement, but you kind of know, okay, seven times five seconds to turn it on. And then you can kind of play with, okay, if I want to turn that down, let me try three times in five seconds, see what that does. If it doesn't work, then you know that you don't have one that you control the intensity to. If it does work, then if it's too low, you can maybe try to do five and five seconds to see if it bumps up to a medium intensity. You can just remember those things and you don't have to look it up all the time in chart supplement, but it is nice to know especially when you're flying to a new airport and at night. Very nice to know. All right, so that's it. As far as for the FA written exam, we've done a good job of summarizing the lights here. So definitely VASIs, PAPIs, know how to use those, know how to read those. You know, the taxiway lights that we talked about, the runway lights that we talked about. And then they may have a question on the pilot control lighting. I'm not 100% sure on that. That may just be good information for you guys when you're flying. But they may have, I think they may have one question here, which we have bolded that how to turn them on, like keying your mic seven times in five seconds. 
or either that or how long they stay on for. So be on the lookout for that type of stuff. But we've done a good job of summarizing this this lesson for you guys. And please go check out the visuals. It's a very visual lesson. So that's it. That's it for that lesson. Let's move on to the next lesson. Before we continue to the next lesson, I mentioned this in a, in a little blurb at the beginning of the episode, but I want to talk a little bit more about the scholarship we have coming up. And if I could have your attention just for a little bit, I think that it can be a really, really cool thing. Okay, so we just gave away one of our $1,000 scholarships and then runner-up, we gave free ground school, $250 value. That was our fall scholarship. We also do a winter scholarship, same thing, $1,000 and then runner-up. We also do a summer scholarship, same thing. Those ones are are for part-time pilot students only. We do one in the spring and we started this last year that is, it's we start off with a $1,000 donation from myself, so from part-time pilot, and then we put that into a GoFundMe and then we fundraise, you know, with we try to get companies, individuals to, you know, donate whatever they can, try to build that up to as big as possible, We're trying to use our the little platform that we have, you know, here on the podcast, our Instagram following, all that stuff, try to use that platform that we have to try and have a bigger impact on people. Because one of the things that's really difficult, the, the number one thing that people say, the difficulty with pilot training is the cost. And I totally get that. And so this is one of the ways I'm hoping to give back that GoFundMe is 100%. Every single penny goes to the winners of the scholarship. Last year, we almost raised $5,000 and we gave away, we split it up between three and gave away three scholarships. So this year, the reason I want to talk about it right here, I'm doing something a little bit different. Last year, I just said, hey, you know, if you have, if you want to donate, donate. But this year I am doing I am also partnering for sponsorships with companies. So aviation-related companies or anything in general for that matter, if they want to support a good cause and donate to the GoFundMe, in return for a donation, they will be listed as a sponsor and we will promote them on part-time pilots. So if you have a good company in mind or maybe it's a, an influencer on Instagram or an account or an organization that wants to get seen by student pilots or, you know, the type of people that, that might, you know, already follow part-time pilot and you think it might be a good fit and they want to support a good cause, send them my way, have them email team at parttimepilot.com and we can talk about that. I think it's a win-win situation, right? They get to donate to a good cause, write it off on their taxes, and then we can, goes all to the student pilots who win the, win the scholarship and then also they get promoted. So it's just a win-win-win all the way around. The students who win-win, the company wins, we win, everybody wins. And the last thing I want to say, the holiday season coming up, if you're like me and you're someone that every holiday season you like to give back, but you see all these things that like, you know, Safeway or Vons or Albertsons or whatever the store it is, Dillard's or you know, what grocery stores they have, but they all, they're all owned by like the same company, right? But they all say, hey, do you want to donate, you know, $5 to feeding, blah, 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 blah. And then you hear horror stories that like they donate already to lower their tax burden and then they're just you're just paying them back or like you never know. You can never really tell, you know, if it's shady or if it's actually going to get to the people that you need to get it to. And I'm sure a lot of those are great. And I'm not saying don't donate to those because a lot of them are great and it it feels good donating. And I'm sure it does help, but it can get sketchy when you're giving it to a a big corporation. Right. If that's how I feel. But. So if you're like someone like me and you really want to make sure that it goes to a cause that you support this holiday season, 
This is the perfect thing, I think, for you to donate to. Again, it's 100% of it. I don't keep a dime. The only people that get a dime other than the scholarship winners is GoFundMe. They take a small fee. It's like 3% a fee of the total. But the reason I did GoFundMe is I didn't want to take those donations myself because this way, when it's through GoFundMe, it's transparent. I have to sign like a, you know, like a, a terms and conditions with GoFundMe, right? So if I break their rules, then GoFundMe's legal team. So we're bound by that contract through GoFundMe. It's transparent. So that's why I chose GoFundMe. I said, okay, it's wor- that's worth the, the 3% fee so that everyone's comfortable, right? It's a well-known thing. So that's why I chose GoFundMe. Everything else other than that fee from GoFundMe goes to, I don't keep any of it. And it's just a way to try and help more people out. So if you're looking for a good cause this holiday season, check out the GoFundMe. It's in our, the link in our bio on social media, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. So it's the Part-Time Pilot 2024 GoFundMe Scholarship. And again, we're going to donate $1,000, and then we're trying to get some companies. So if you know of a company, would love to partner with us. We could promote. They could be a sponsor. We did get our first sponsor as the time of recording this. It's from Fly Like a Local. Big shout out to them. Fly Like a Local is a new app where it's trying to give you a bunch of information at, you know, local airports so that if you're you're going to a new airport and you want you want to know, you know, you want to connect with people around at the airport, you want to get weather information stuff like that, kind of all in one place and searchable by airport. Kind of a cool idea. You can download that or check out their Instagram to search fly like a local and I think they have a website as well. And I think it's Apple and Android. Anyways, they did a $100 donation and they're our first sponsor to that scholarship. So big shout out to them. So anything like that, send them our way. We're going to try to make this. Our goal for this year is $10,000. Like I said, last year we got close to 5000 So let's really make this a special, special thing. And I think we could just make it really, really big if we really try hard. So thank you guys for your time. Let's get back to the lessons. All right, so back to the lessons. We got, we're on lesson eight of section 14 on taxiway and runway signs and markings. Now let's get straight to it. The following runway and taxiway signs should be known by pilots as they are the most commonly used signs. Be sure to download the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book from your bonus online ground school downloads of Video Vault course to get the below signs and markings in a f- sort of flashcard format. So I know that I'm saying this on you know, I'm reading this in our lesson and this is a um, podcast, but if you're in the ground school, our ultimate private pot test prep book, the PDF is included in your ground school. So just go to check out your bonus downloads course and it's in there. And so you have these signs and markings that you can practice kind of in like a flashcard format in that book. If you're not in the ground school, you know, you should be, but also you can get that test prep book on Amazon, just search Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep Book, and it comes with a free PDF version and three free practice tests. So anyways, so let's talk about these signs. So inbound destination sign. This sign defines directions for arriving aircraft to a given destination with an arrow pointing in the direction of the destination. So it's a yellow background sign with black letters, and it has an abbreviation for the destination and an arrow. So if you're on taxiway A and then turning right on taxiway C to get to the FBO or something, it might have a sign that says, you know, it gives directions for arriving aircraft to a given destination, or maybe it's a terminal or something like that. It'll tell you terminal with an arrow and it's yellow, yellow background with black text. 
an outbound destination sign. This sign defines common taxi route directions for a takeoff runway with an arrow pointing in the direction of the runway. So again, yellow background, these kind of destination signs that are telling you where a specific destination is. This one is just, it's outbound, right? So instead of after a landing where you're taxiing into like an FBO or a terminal, it's not telling you where a terminal is, it's telling you where a runway is. But again, it's yellow background with black text. And so this example we have is a yellow background with black. It says 27 dot and then 33 with an arrow to the right. It's telling you where runways, how to get to runway 27 and then 33. Taxiway direction and location signs. Taxiway direction signs define the directions of taxiways at taxiway intersections. Each taxiway direction sign has the name of a taxiway, A, Alpha, Charlie, Bravo, ABC, for example, or ACP and an arrow pointing in the direction of the taxi. So again, same thing, yellow background with black text and an arrow. It's just, but this is when it's at a intersection telling you which direction the, the other taxiways are. So if you're on taxiway alpha, it's gonna tell you, you know, which direction to stay on alpha, which direction to stay on Charlie, or which direction to go to Bravo, whatever taxiways intersect with that taxiway. Those are taxiway direction signs. So direction signs again, right, yellow background, with black text and an arrow. That, those are direction signs. So I can tell you direction to a runway, direction to a taxiway, or direction to like an FBO or terminal. Now location signs are gonna be reverse. Location signs have a black background with yellow text. So here in this example, we're on taxiway alpha, and so we're gonna see the sign at this intersection. The sign is a black background with a yellow A, and that's telling us that we are on taxiway alpha. So the location sign tells us which, what, whether it's a runway or the taxiway, it tells us which one we're on. We're currently on, because these can get kind of confusing, especially when we have an inter intersection with quite a few taxiways. It's good to remember which one you're on and relate that to your taxi diagram that you're looking at in your, you know, on your kneeboard. And you can say, okay, I'm on taxiway alpha and I need to go to Charlie. So where's the, the yellow direction sign? Okay, I go this way. These are all visually depicted in the ground school, so check that out. These are very visual things. I'm doing my best to explain them here on the podcast. Runway safety boundary zone sign. This sign designates the exit boundary of the runway protected areas. This sign is seen alongside the runway hold position markings, also called runway boundary markings. The side of the sign with dashed lines is found on the runway side and signifies aircraft are clear to pass through without clearance from ATC. The side with solid lines is found on the taxiway side and signifies the aircraft must stop before and get clearance before crossing. So we're going to talk about the markings here in a little bit, but this sign is basically doubling. Remember those the stop bar clearance lights and stuff like that where they really try to illuminate like, hey, this is a hold short line. This is the same thing. It's just a sign. It's a runway safety boundary zone sign, and it's just a sign. It literally shows you the, the marking lines on the sign. It's just another way to kind of illuminate, hey, there's a place here. There's lines here that you can taxi across when you're on the dash line sign, and you have to stop and get clearance when you're on the solid line sign. And we'll talk a little bit more about those markings here in a bit, but that's a runway safety boundary zone sign. Next one is runway distance remaining sign. This sign indicates how many feet in thousands of feet are left on the runway. So let's say you come into land or you're taking off and next to the runway, the left or right, you're going to see a black sign with white text. So it might say 10, right? In white text with a black sign. That tells you there are 10,000 feet 
of runway remaining, right? And if that goes down to like two, then you only have 2,000 feet. So visual indication of how much runway you have left, so very handy. Runway location sign. Again, remember we talked about the taxiway location sign. It's a black background with yellow text. That tells you you're, that's where you're at. So again, in this example, if you're landing on runway 27, you might see a sign, a black sign with yellow text that says 27 on it that tells you you're on runway 27. A no entry sign. This sign is pretty self-explanatory in that it identifies paved areas where the aircraft is prohibited from entering. So again, there's going to be a marking on the asphalt themselves, and we'll get to that in a little bit. There'll be like an X that tells you, you know, don't go on there. But before you, let's say there's an X on the runway and the runway's out of commission, there might be a sign on the taxiway right near the, the hold short line. And this is a very self-explanatory, like do not enter caution sign. It's the red sign with a white circle, a line in the middle of the circle. So again, that's just like, is a very obvious logical sign that says like, don't go in here. Okay, (laughs) I have to say something. I'm recording, you know, I live in San Diego and I love living in cities. But the first time that I've ever been annoyed of city sounds is when I try to record a podcast. And I swear to God, there's like a mariachi band like walking by my apartment right now. So if you hear that, like I have no idea what's going on. It's like a Tuesday at like noon. No idea why why that's happening or, or what the deal is. So sorry if you hear that. We'll try to edit it out. But that that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now. ILS critical area hold position signs. So this sign identifies a hold short of the ILS approach critical area. This sign is seen alongside the ILS critical area boundary marking. When the instrument landing system is being used at the airport, ATC may hold you at this line. Aircraft taxiing beyond this point might interfere with the ILS signal used by approaching aircraft. So you have your normal hold short lines on the runway or on the taxiway. So you're taxiing up to a runway and you hold short of that line and wait for your clearance to the runway. If that runway has ILS, which is instrument landing system, that's going to provide the instrument aircraft coming in with a lateral guidance and vertical guidance in their cockpit so that they can land on that runway with, you know, in IFR conditions. Those signal, they need those signals to be uninterfered with. So if you get too close to the runway and you got different signals, radio signals coming out of your aircraft, it might interfere with the signals for that landing aircraft on ILS. So what they'll do is further back away from the runway, there might be an ILS hold short line, which is an ILS critical area boundary line. So they might have you hold short, you know, further away from the runway and there will be a red sign that says ILS. So it makes it obvious where that is if ATC says hold short of that ILS line. So it's just to give further clearance away from that runway in case they're using ILS and aircraft are coming in. All right, the next one is ILS critical area boundary sign. This sign is the exit boundary of the ILS critical area. This sign is positioned alongside the ILS critical area hold position markings. Aircraft exiting the runway are clear of the ILS critical area when they move beyond the sign. So it's the backside of the other sign, right? So as you're approaching the runway, it'll be red. And then as you're exiting the runway it's going to be literally just a yellow picture of the markings on the ground which is like it almost kind of looks like railroad tracks is the marking on the ground and we'll get to that in a little bit so it's going to be a different one when you're leaving the runway right and the reason why we need a sign for that as well is because they might say you know taxi clear of ILS critical area boundary sign so they want you to taxi clear before you stop and do your after landing checklist and contact ground they want you again further away from the runway so that's the reason they would do that Okay, runway approach hold position sign. This sign indicates a hold short for aircraft on approaching the sign. 
This sign is usually seen alongside runway taxiway hold position markings, but it can also be found away from the runway, but in a position that ATC may want you to hold to avoid interfering with any approaching or departing aircraft. So there might be a taxiway that's kind of underneath the glide slope of a runway. We have this here visualized. And so they might have another hold short line on the ground, and then they'll have a red sign that's red. So again, red, and it says like 27 approach. It says stop here for approaching aircraft on runway 27. Again, this is very similar to ILS. They don't want you to interfere with landing runway. So if landing run, they might a taxiway like loops around and goes underneath the glide slope. They might have you stop at that 27 approach or that runway hold position sign. Okay, then we have a runway hold position sign. Again, you're kind of getting the hint of these runway hold, hold short lines, right, are very important. Again, so you're taxiing on the taxiway before the runway, there's going to be these hold short lines on the ground. It's going to be four lines. Two of them are dashed. Two of them are solid. And they're all yellow. The two dashed lines are going to be on the side of the runway. The two solid lines are going to be the side of the taxiway. You stop on the two solid lines and you have to get clearance. If you're on the side of the two dash lines, you can go across it without clearance and you stop after to contact ground. Anyways, we'll get into those in a little bit, but there might be a sign that's accompanying this, and that's a runway hold position sign, and those are going to be red. So let's say you're taxiing along and you're approaching runway 9-27, so either 9 or 27. There might be a red sign that says, hey, you know, just another, another one, just like the stop bar, clearance lights another sign or visual indication of hey hold short it's all about limiting runway incursions because those are a big problem aircraft taxing onto the runway when they shouldn't when someone's landing or taking off they have all these ways to make it visible for us to hold short here you know until you have clearance so that's a red sign runway hold position sign then we have taxiway end marker sign so this tells us like the end of a taxiway the sign marker signifies that the taxiway ends here and does not continue the sign is usually located on the far side of the pavement. Let's say there's like the asphalt continues or it turns into like some sort of path, gravel path or something. It's just a alternating black and yellow stripe sign that just says, hey, the taxiway ends here. So that is pretty self-explanatory, but it's alternating black and yellow lines on the sign. Okay, now let's get into taxiway markings. Runway markings are painted in white and taxiway markings are painted in yellow. This makes it easier for pilots in the air to distinguish a runway from a taxiway, unless you're Harrison Ford. I don't know if you heard about that, but he, he's notorious for landing on a taxiway. Let's take a look at the markings a pilot needs to know. Okay, runway hold position mark. Pilot cannot cross this marking from the solid line side of the marking unless ATC has cleared you to do so. This marking is seen anywhere a taxiway crosses a runway. So these are the lines we were talking about on so many of those stop bar lights, the runway hold short signs, all those signs, right, are going to be next to these runway hold position markings. And these markings are painted on the asphalt, right, on the taxiway. Again, four lines stacked on top of each other. Two of the lines are dashed and two of the lines are solid. Okay, so it goes dash, dash, solid, solid across the runway. And the side with the two solid lines, that's the side if you're approaching the two solid lines first, that's where you have to stop to get clearance. Those will be on the taxiway side, opposite side of the runway. So that way, if you're approaching this line and you see the two solid lines first, you're approaching the runway, you have to stop before you get onto the runway and you have to get clearance. 
But if you're leaving the runway, you're going to approach that those lines on the dash side, the two dash lines side. And that means you can taxi over those and then you'll stop and contact ground. Dash lines you can cross over, solid lines you cannot until you have clearance. So those are the runway hold position markings that you know, are so important to understand and they're accompanied by so many other signs and lights so that you don't cross them without clearance and at the right time. Then we have the ILS critical area marking. We talked about these, they kind of look like yellow railroad tracks. Again, these are painted on the taxiway. All these will be painted on the taxiway. This marking represents the boundary of the ILS critical area. So just like the sign, right, ATC might have you hold short of the ILS critical area marking. Again, that just gives your aircraft more distance away from the runway so that it doesn't interfere with the ILS instruments that an IFR pilot might be using coming down to land. Movement area boundary line. The movement area boundary line extends across the surface of the pavement of an airport to determine the transition point from a non-movement area to a movement area. As a pilot, you cannot cross over the solid line side to the dashed line side unless cleared by ATC. So again, that kind of same logic where there's this line is going to have one dash line stacked on top of one solid line. Okay, so it's going to have dash line and a solid line. If you're on the dash line side, you can cross over it. If you're on the solid line side, you cannot without being cleared by ATC. The dash side of the line is the movement area. So anything on the dash side of the line is considered the movement area. That's where generally like taxiways and runways are going to be, uh, or like aprons and ramps for, you know, like FBOs and stuff. And then outside of that, pretty much you don't want aircraft there. It might be for, you know, walking personnel or, or something like that, or pedestrians or something like that outside. So you have the movement area, which is on the dash side of this line. And again, the line is yellow. It's a dash yellow and a solid yellow. Next, we have the taxiway center line. We talked about the center line lights that may be accompanied on a taxiway, but it's going to have a painted center line that you'll be able to see in the day. And it, it's just a solid yellow line painted on the center of a taxiway. Then you might have an enhanced taxiway center line. An enhanced taxiway center line can be seen for 150 feet before reaching a runway hold short marking. So again, these hold short markings, when you're on a taxiway before you get to the runway, 150 feet before that taxiway center line, which is solid yellow, it's now going to have two dash lines on either side of it for the last 150 feet. So it's going to be a solid line in the middle, a dash line on the right, and a dash line on the left for 150 feet until you get to the hold short line. And again, another way to tell pilots, hey, coming up, you're going to have to stop because there's a runway coming up or a taxiway intersection coming up and we need you to stop and talk to ATC before you cross here. So that's a enhanced taxiway center line. Taxiway edge line, just like it sounds, just like taxiway edge lights, which are blue. Taxiway edge lines are, again, they're yellow painted on the taxiway. They're used to define the edge of the taxiway from other pavement at the airport. A continuous double yellow edge line indicates that the taxiway edge cannot be crossed. A dashed double yellow edge line indicates that the adjacent pavement is intended to be used for taxiing aircraft and may be crossed. So the taxiway edge lines are double lines, double yellow lines. You could have a solid or continuous double yellow line that tells you you can't cross it. Or if it's two dashed lines, then you are allowed to cross it. Okay, but they tell you the edge of the taxiway. Next up, we have a taxiway hold position marking. Taxiway hold position lines are yellow dash lines that run perpendicular from the taxiway center line across the taxiway at locations where aircraft are commonly asked to hold by ATC, such as taxiway to taxiway center lines, such as taxiway to taxiway intersections. 
Pilots are expected to hold short when requested by ATC if ATC clears a pilot to taxi to a runway via Alpha and Bravo and there is a taxiway hold position line at the intersection of Alpha and Bravo, you do not have to hold at the line because ATC did not request you to do so. So these are different than the hold short lines, right? So before you reach, if you're taxiing on a taxiway and you reach a runway, there's going to be hold short lines. Those are the four lines, right? The two solid and two dashed. On other types of intersections, right? I mean, it's like taxiway with like, you know, a road or like taxiway and a, another taxiway where you don't always have, you're not required to stop all the time, but ATC might ask you to hold short. It's just going to give you an indication on the ground of where you want to hold short if ATC tells you to hold short there. Again, it's just a dashed yellow line that's perpendicular to the center line. All right, now finally, let's talk about runway markings. Runway edge line markings are the first ones we'll talk about. Runway edge lines are white, solid white lines and border the edge of a runway. They can be seen in the figure here labeled A. So we have a figure here of runway and we just labeled each of these markings. So literally it's just the outer edge of the runway. It's going to be a solid white line. Then you have runway center line markings. Runway center lines are dashed white lines that depict the center of the runway. Aircraft on the runway should maintain the center line at all times. Runway center lines are depicted in the figure labeled G. Again, that's just a center line. It's a dashed white line. So pretty simple so far. Runway threshold markings. Runway thresholds identify the beginning of the runway that is available for landing. Runway threshold markings consist of eight white longitudinal stripes arranged evenly on either side of the center line. The actual starting point of the threshold is the white boundary line or runway threshold bar of the runway 20 feet prior to these markings. The runway threshold markings are labeled in the figure as letter B. So I'm trying to give you a visual aid of this. We're approaching the runway. And at the beginning of the runway, we're going to see, so the runway center line, then we're going to see before that, we're going to see the runway numbers. So like runway 27. And then before that, we're going to see these lines that are in the direction that we're landing. And they start at the middle of the runway and they go to the right edge and go to the left edge. And they're just a bunch of lines. So there's like, what did I say? There's there's eight lines on the left and eight lines on the right, and they're all pointed in the direction of the runway. This kind of pattern at the beginning before the numbers is the runway threshold markings. Next one is the blast pad stopway markings. These are large yellow points, almost like our chevrons they're called, and you can think of like the greater than or equal sign, like those type of shapes seen prior to a runway threshold. A blast pad is a surface near the ends of runways designed to reduce the erosive effects of jet blast and propeller wash. A stopway is a defined surface beyond the end of a runway that is designed to be suitable for aircraft without damaging the aircraft during an aborted takeoff. These markings are labeled in our picture as letter H. So again, it's before the runway threshold, right? If it's at or after the runway threshold. After the runway threshold, it's used as a stopway. And before it's used as a blast pad, and it's just these, they're yellow lines in the shape of chevrons, or like I said, the greater than or equal signs, right? Kind of like triangle without with third line. <laughs> um, I'm trying, I'm struggling describing it, but look up chevrons or blast pad or stopway markings if you're not in the ground school. Next one is runway touchdown zone markings. Runway touchdown zone markings provide the location of the touchdown zone for landing operations and are coded to provide distance information as they are spaced 500 feet to the next touchdown zone markings. 
Depending on the total runway length, there can be pairs of three white longitudinal lines, two white longitudinal lines, or one white longitudinal line, where one of the pair lies on either side of the runway center line. These markings are labeled in the figure here as D, E, and F, another figure that shows all of these and what they look like. So we have our runway center line that's a dash white line, and then on either side of that, to the left and right, you'll have at the start of the runway, you might see three lines that are in the direction of our runway, right? The direction we're landing. So there's three lines on the right, three white lines on the left. And then further up, you might see two white lines on the left, two white lines on the left. And then further up, we might see one white line on the left and one white line on the right of the center line. These are the runway touchdown zone markings. So where you see the three white lines on either side, that's the touchdown zone. That's 500 feet from the end of the runway. Then you might see the two white lines on either side. You'll see those 1,500 and 2,000 feet from the end of the runway. And then at 2,500 feet, you'll see the first single white lines on either side of the threshold. These are very visual things. I'm trying my best to explain these, but please check out the ground school and the pictures in here. They're, everything is labeled in, in great detail so you know exactly you know, what we're talking about. Okay, runway fixed position and aiming point markings. Runway fixed position or aiming point markings are part of the touchdown zone markings, so very similar, and help provide distance information along runways. These markings serve as a visual aiming point for landing aircraft and are single white lines on either side of the runway center line, but are much thicker and vi more visible than other touchdown zone markings. These are approximately 1,000 feet from the runway threshold and are labeled in the figure as marking E. Okay, so here we have, they're going to be very thick bars. I wouldn't even call them lines. They're almost like rectangles in the direction. They're pointed in the direction of us landing, but they're very, very thick white rectangles on either side of the center line. And these are the runway fixed position and aiming point marking. So they want to be more visible as an aiming point, kind of in the middle of the touchdown zones, right? They're a thousand feet from the end of the runway. Okay, next is runway designation markings. Runway designation markings are numbers and letters that are determined from the approach direction of the runway. The runway number is the whole number nearest one-tenth the magnetic azimuth of the center line of the runway measured clockwise from magnetic north. So these are the runway numbers, right? The runway numbers that are painted at the beginning of the runway. So here in this example, we have 27. So this is in magnetic direction of 270, but that is rounded to the nearest tenth, and it is magnetic. So those are things to remember that runway directions are in terms of magnetic because when you're flying, you're flying and your heading indicator is calibrated off your magnetic compass. So it's measured from magnetic north and it's rounded to the nearest one-tenth. So it's a whole number. Number is a whole number nearest one-tenth the magnetic azimuth. So yeah, it's rounded up to 270 could be 269 or, or whatever. And it's rounded up to 27. It's common sense. I kind of said it funny, but it's common sense. It's just rounded up so that we get like runway six, runway two seven, right? We're not gonna say runway 61, right? Like zero six one or whatever, when it's 61 degrees, we're just gonna put runway six. A letter may also accompany the numbers to differentiate between left or right runways of the same magnetic direction. When you have parallel runways, so if you have a two seven right and two seven left, it'll have, it'll say two seven R or two seven L. All right, next up is displaced threshold markings. A displaced threshold is a threshold located at a point on the runway, other than the designated beginning of the runway, these are displayed as white arrows along the center line with white arrow heads pointed 
white arrowhead points lined up along the threshold bar. The area inside a displaced threshold marking is available for takeoffs in either direction and therefore taxing to takeoff and landings from the opposite direction only. So let me say that again. The area inside a displaced threshold marking is available for takeoffs in either direction and therefore taxiing to takeoff and landings from the opposite direction only. The displaced threshold example can be seen here in this figure here. So we have the runway center line and then they basically turn the center lines into arrows and then at the end you just have a line of arrowheads across the front and that indicates the displaced threshold and again you can take off in either direction you can taxi and take off in either direction but you can only land in the opposite direction of the threshold so what i mean when i say is you can only land in the opposite direction only so let's say the arrows are pointed to the north you can't be landing to the north and land on the threshold you can't use them for landing but if they're on the opposite end of the runway and you land and then you, you are coming to a stop, you're rolling out and you go onto the displaced threshold where the arrows are pointed at you, again, right opposite direction of the arrows, you're landing in that direction, opposite <laughs> the direction of the arrows, you can do that. You can roll out and finish your landing and come to a stop on them. But you just can't land on them. Hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Again, we have visual pictures in here, so highly recommend taking a look at that. Runway closed or aircraft movement not allowed marking sometimes a runway will be closed or a part of a runway beginning or end will be closed and deemed not suitable for aircraft movement in the case of a closed runway big bold x's can be either white or yellow and they'll be placed along the runway or even the runway designation marking so just like a big x over the the runway numbers in the case of the beginning or end of a runway marked as not suitable for movement a big bold x will be placed in this area and the runway threshold will be moved Okay, so they'll move the runway threshold up above or, you know, away from the X's, right? So it's obvious that the threshold is beyond the X and part with the X is not to be used, right? You have to land beyond the threshold part. Both of these cases should be issued in notums for the airport. A closed runway is seen in here in this figure. And then here we have figure 64 from the FAA Airman Knowledge Testing Supplement. So this figure you'll actually be tested on. Right, the FAA written will be like, refer to figure 64 and tell us what this is, right? So I've actually taken this figure and labeled what everything is. A couple of the things that we didn't talk about are just vehicle lanes. So these might be found in movement areas on asphalt, whereas everything else for taxiing is yellow, painted yellow. These vehicle lanes will be painted white, and we have an example of what they look like. That's the only thing we didn't really talk about, but everything else here. You know, we've talked about there's some signs, there's some markings, there's some lights we've talked about in depth. I just wanted to give you the actual figure that the FA uses and and just literally label the whole thing that you might be tested on for you guys. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a long one. And please share. If you can't donate for the, the spring scholarship here in the holiday season, I totally get it. I'm not trying to, you know, bleed anyone dry. It's only if if you can afford it or whatever. But at least share it for us because we want to try and make this as big as possible. So thank you all for listening. And until next week, I will talk to you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is 
you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24 seven, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities 
on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos, or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.